Hello and welcome to I Know Dino. I'm Garrett. And I'm Sabrina. We have a special announcement at the beginning of this episode. We just finished another book and it's available right now to all of our Tyrannosaurus patrons exclusively. Eventually it'll be available for other people, but right now just for Tyrannosaurus patrons. So if you're at that highest level of our Patreon community, make sure you head over to patreon.com slash inodino and download your new book. And if you're interested in getting that book, you could also join our Patreon at the Tyrannosaurus level. This week, we have a bunch of dinosaur news, including a new study on baby dinosaurs crawling and a bunch of new exhibits. We also have an interview with David Armsby, who you might be familiar with from YouTube. And we also have a companion video version of this interview. It's the first time we've done that (laughs) on YouTube. And we have Dinosaur of the Day, Shivuya. But before we get into all of that, we'd like to thank some of our patrons for keeping the lights on in our podcasting office slash studio. And this week, we'd like to thank Chris, Nicholas, Trent Carbajal, Stefan, Nutmeg, Taya, Dashiell Hammond, Stego Sophie, Lalin, Ayumi, Paula Canthus, Lydia, Jackson Crawford, Sorian Brandy, Mayu, and Dino Bo. And Dino Bo just joined, and under that name, he takes fossils to schools and teaches kids about fossils using real fossils as well as some replicas, which sounds amazing, and I would love to do this sometime. Yeah, actually, a few of our patrons do this kind of work, so it's really cool to see and hear about, and we've seen some really great photos, so thank you for doing that and also for being a part of our community and if you want to join this growing amazing community then check out our page at patreon.com slash inodino up first in the news we have what is possibly the cutest dinosaur i've ever seen in a journal article that's saying a lot yeah i mean i've seen other cute dinosaurs in like paleo art movies and stuff but this one's actually peer-reviewed which to me makes it cuter because (laughs) I know that it's like a real thing and not just some like speculative drawing somebody came up with. And what it is is of a baby Musaurus. And Sabrina actually covered this in a recent Dinosaur of the Day. It was in episode 220 if you want to go listen to it. But basically its name means mouse lizard. So you would guess that it's tiny by that name. Right. Because it's tiny as a baby. Exactly. But really the adults weighed over a ton but the, since the holotype was a baby, you know, they named it after its tininess, <laughs> even though it didn't stay tiny. And the babies were, in fact, very small. The holotype is only about 10 inches or 26 centimeters long. So that is a very small dinosaur. I should also mention the paper was written by Alejandro Otero and others and published in Scientific Reports. And they looked at different ontogenetic stages of this dinosaur, which is a sauropodomorph. And in this case, it's a non-sauropod sauropodomorph, which means it's one of those early dinosaurs. It's actually from the Triassic. And it's not quite the big sauropods that we're used to seeing on all four legs. It's basically bipedal, at least as an adult. And then they wanted to see, well, as a juvenile, you know, as like a one-year-old and as a baby, since we also had fossils of those, I should say a hatchling probably, that's more technically correct. Was it still bipedal? And if not, you know, how did it change over time? So aside from having these obvious changes, like having really big eye sockets and a shortened face, which is part of what makes it so cute, they depict it as crawling as a baby before it learned to walk on two legs. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and basically, the whole paper 
focuses on this difference that happened over time. So they took a different approach to the question than the paper we covered last year. So last year, as a quick refresh, we talked about a study by Wosik, Mark Goodwin, and David Evans, and they looked at some Edmontosaurus hatchlings, and they said that they probably walked the same as adults. But in that case, it means that they were all quadrupedal because we knew that adult Edmontosaurus were quadrupedal. So in that study, they focused on the proportions of the hind limbs, whereas in this study, they ended up looking more at the center of mass. And basically what they found is that Musaurus had a tail that grew quite a bit as it aged. And what that means is that its center of mass was shifting away from its head towards its tail, and in this case towards its hips, as it aged. And that allowed it to become bipedal as it aged. But when it was really young and it had that short tail, its center of mass was too close to its head. So it would have tipped over if it was trying to walk on just two legs. So then it had to crawl. Basically, you know, it had to have its hands on the ground also. You can call it crawling or just walking, however you want to look at it. Crawling sounds cuter. It does, yeah. Like I said before, they also had a bunch of fossils of one-year-old individuals or quote-unquote yearlings. And by looking at those, they think that they were bipedal as well as the adults. So somewhere in that span between hatching and one-year-old, the tail grew enough that now it could walk bipedally. My favorite thing about the paper is actually the comparison with Edmontosaurus that my brain started churning on the whole time I was reading it. So both Edmontosaurus and Musaurus evolved from bipedal ancestors, and both of them are kind of like the early phases of quadrupedality. But other than that, they're different in almost every way that dinosaurs can be different. (laughs) Because Musaurus is a Triassic sauropodomorph, and therefore a Sauriscian, and Edmontosaurus is a hadrosaur from the latest Cretaceous, and therefore an Ornithischian, in the current nomenclature at least, if we're not doing the whole Ornithoscolida thingy. So that means that they lived about 150 million years apart, which is about as far apart as dinosaurs lived, and their nearest common ancestor is even older, (laughs) and they're on the two main different branches of dinosauria. And then even though they're both herbivorous dinosaurs, the plants that they were eating were completely different too, because in those 150 million years, plants changed so much, like angiosperms evolved, and hadrosaurs had these huge dental batteries to chew through tough plant matter, whereas sauropods and sauropodomorphs just had these little tiny teeth, and they're basically just swallowing leaves and then digesting them in a huge gut. So it's just amazing to me that in both cases, we're seeing how herbivory seems to be leading them to these like huge guts and eventual quadrupedality, but they're such completely different animals and different ways of going about it. And then it's also interesting because it flies in the face of the well-known erroneous ontogeny recapitulates phylogeny, basically meaning if you watch an animal grow up, you can see how it evolved mm-hmm. over millions of and billions of years. But everybody knows that's not true. There, It sometimes comes up that there are true elements to it just kind of by chance. But in this case, it's interesting because you've got only the baby Musaurus being quadrupedal, Whereas its descendants, for lack of a better word, are all quadrupedal, Mm -hmm. but its ancestors were bipedal. And then on the other hand, you've got a Montosaurus, which seems to have gone fully quadrupedal, (laughs) both at young and old stages, and it evolved from bipedal dinosaurs. So I just love it. I should also mention that Wasik and others said that they wanted to do a biomechanics study, which I'm guessing is going to be mostly center of mass to follow up on their Montessori study. So it'll be interesting if that still stays the same. But if something changes, that would mean that Montessori would be exactly the opposite 
that it could have started as bipedal yeah. and ended up as quadrupedal, which would make it even weirder. Nature's weird. It is just crazy weird. But now we know that we had Musaurus crawling around a nest for a little bit under a year and then learning to walk on its own. It made me wonder about parental care and stuff too, because they mentioned in the paper that when they were quadrupedal, they probably couldn't have really gotten around much. So they would have been kind of near the nest most of the time. Just like a human baby. Exactly. But it makes you think like they must have had some kind of parental care or something. Like how are they going to eat a bunch of plants if they're just stuck in a nest? Right. Maybe they had babysitters. Yeah. Or maybe they were born with like a, a sizable yolk sack mm. that would get them by for a couple of weeks and then they developed bipedality quick enough that they didn't starve to death before they could get out of the nest. <laughs> I don't know. Getting tested from an early age. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. Happens a lot. It does, especially out in that jungle. <laughs> well, speaking of doing stuff at an early age, this is really cool. The web schools, they're private high schools in Claremont, California. And actually, we interviewed Andy Farkey and Gabe Santos about it in our episode 165, Gojirosaurus. But the school, some exciting news recently came out. So one of their high school seniors, Eunice Yip, and Andy Farkey published a paper on Edmontosaurus anectin. So I guess we're bringing it all back around. But anyway, <laughs> it's a formal description of a juvenile femur. And the fossil was found in 2000 on an ALF museum expedition. Uh, just a quick reminder, the ALF museum is on campus and they were at Hell Creek. So Eunice wrote the paper as part of an advanced study in paleontology class. Now it's been peer reviewed. It's already published in the Vertebrate Anatomy Morphology Paleontology Journal. And they found that Edmontosaurus leg bone proportions didn't change no matter the size of the Edmontosaurus. And that one of the major leg muscle attachment areas on the bone did not change the way that paleontologists previously thought it had. They thought it went from symmetrical to asymmetrical in shape, but it looks like it started as asymmetrical. So that just kind of further fuels what Garrett was saying with the last study that Edmontosaurus started off walking one way and then kept doing it as it grew. Yeah. And that's using the same logic that the earlier paper did using the leg proportions, because usually when you see an animal switch its posture, it means pretty significant changes in that in those leg proportions. Yeah, but I mainly wanted to highlight this story because it was a high school senior who got this peer-reviewed and published, and <laughs> yeah, that's, that's awesome. amazing. <laughs> what a school. In Canyon, Colorado, the Royal Gorge Dinosaur Experience has a really great museum with life-size dinosaur skeletons of T-Rex and other dinosaurs. They also have casts and some information on the Bone Wars and animatronic dinosaurs on a dinosaur walk outside, as well as a ropes course, so a good place to visit for the summer if you're in the area. In other museum news, the Santa Barbara Museum of Natural History has a new prehistoric forest behind their museum, and that's got an animatronic T-Rex and animatronic ankylosaurus, along with some baby ankylosaurus. What? Yeah. That's amazing. We almost got married at that museum, but it wasn't big enough for how many guests we had, so we went to the zoo instead. Well, they also didn't have dinosaurs when we got married. That's true. They didn't. It would have been way harder decision <laughs> if we were doing it now. <laughs> baby ankylosaurus. <laughs> that's so cool. <laughs> in granger washington residents recently got to help build the city's 36th dinosaur during their dino in a day event we've talked about it before and it sounds really familiar but everyone who went got work gloves and they helped layer concrete onto steel and chicken wire to make a sauropelta and the sauropelta is about 25 feet long and six feet tall It'd be pretty fun yeah so in media news Maybe you saw this on our social media, but Tammy and the T-Rex is getting a re-release on Monday, June 17th, 7 p.m. 
at the Chicago Synpocalypse Film Festival. If anyone's there and they're going, you can see this film. But so, don't. Well, apparently <laughs> it was meant to be a horror film, but they took out the gorier material. So now they're releasing the gore cut, they're calling it, at the festival. And Josh Goldblum, Synpocalypse founder and artistic director, said, quote, much more than a curiosity, Tammy is an unrivaled gem and easily one of the most unique, jaw-droppingly entertaining genre film discoveries of the decade. It's destined for cult classic status, and we're thrilled to help launch this beautiful crazy beast back into the world 25 years later, end quote. I don't know if I'd go that far. No, definitely not even close. <laughs> Maybe it could be a cult classic. I don't know. But Later this year, they're going to be releasing in theaters and Blu-ray a 4K restoration of the original movie, not the gory parts, which we don't recommend. We reviewed this in detail in episode 85, Carnotaurus, if you want to hear about it. It's so bad. It's one of the worst movies I've ever seen. And I usually, when there's a dinosaur in a movie, that like doubles its star value to me. <laughs> right. Plus it came out right after Jurassic Park. Oh, originally. it's so dated. It's just, it's so bad. And there's so much like weird jokes that are completely culturally insensitive that did not age well. It's just, oh man, it's bad in almost every mo way a movie can be I bad. am curious though what the gore cut means. Yeah. Where does all the gore come in? I don't know. I mean, I I can't imagine that they really had the budget for any kind of special effect that would make impressive gore scenes. <laughs> <laughs> the scenes of the T-Rex rampaging are mostly like it's stepping on people and other like pretty corny stuff. Uh, so. True, true. Well, anyway, if you're ever having a movie night and you want to watch a bunch of bad movies, you can include that one in your list. Yeah, I guess. It's not even like bad funny which is what I, I want in a, <laughs> that's like, to me, that's more like Theodore Rex is like bad funny because it's got that like funny, like futuristic, bad interpretation. It's got Whoopi Goldberg in it. It's just like right. over the top. Of oh, this. the ending's really weird in Tammy and the T-Rex too. Oh man. Yeah. Don't watch it. <laughs> you <laughs> or, have been warned. <laughs> or do and judge for yourself. <laughs> Moving on, thanks to Daniel who shared this one with us via Facebook. So Netflix is making a Jurassic World animated TV show called Jurassic World Camp Cretaceous. And it's executive produced by Steven Spielberg, Frank Marshall, Colin Trevorrow, Scott Keemer, and Lane Luris. It's set in Jurassic World during the first movie time. But it's going to follow six teenagers who are stranded on the island after the dinosaurs have escaped or mm. basically let loose. And they need to find a way to survive. So the show's coming out sometime next year, 2020. That'll be awesome. Mm -hmm. I really like the idea of kind of diving into the, some of those characters. This is the coolest thing about fan fiction. A lot of times you focus on something really narrow rather than like the whole grand scheme of things and just kind of dig into it nitty gritty. That'll be really cool. Is this considered fan fiction if it's executive produced by Steven Spielberg and it Colin Trevorrow? No. <laughs> <laughs> it's definitely good world exploration mm -hmm. and a great way to bring in more dinosaurs and they're animated. So it's easier than having puppets or CGI. Oh, true. So by animated, it's like cartoon animated style thing. I think so. Yeah, one more Jurassic World-ish bit of news. So the game Jurassic World Evolution DLC has a new premium expansion pack coming out. There's going to be a new area, dinosaurs, a new storyline. This comes out June 18th. And in this premium expansion pack, it's a story with Claire Deering. And in this premium expansion pack, it's a story about or with 
Claire Deering. So the island's volcano is about to erupt and you have to work with Claire to build a private dinosaur sanctuary to save as many dinosaurs as you can. Cool. That is perfect timing because I just finished setting up my streaming ability on my computer. So I think I'm going to stream this DLC. I'll send out a thing on Patreon and Twitter and stuff. So if you want to see our first ever video game stream, <laughs> I'll play this game and we could we can go through it together and see. Save the dinosaurs together? Yeah. Yeah, let's see how it is. We also have a message from a friend of the show, Alex Hastings, who is going to be at the Science Museum of Minnesota for their museum-wide celebration of all things dinosaur. Oh, that sounds fun. It does. They're going to have presentations by himself, Alex Hastings, and you might remember him from his research on how dinosaurs are portrayed in comic books, which was in episode 167. They're also going to have presentations from Christy Curry Rogers about dinosaur growth and Pete McAvicky about dinosaurs in Antarctica. To go along with all these presentations, they're also going to have some special displays and activities for the day, and it's all happening on Saturday, July 13th from 10 a.m. to 4 p.m. Sounds like a lot of fun. It does. And we have a quick follow-up from Ari Rudenko. We mentioned last week that his show just went on in Indonesia, but he's also going to be speaking at the 11th North American Paleontological Convention, also known as NAPC, and that runs from June 23rd to 27th. Apparently, the last conference was back in 2014. They only do it every four to five years. I'm thinking this year, though, it might have better attendance since SVP is going to be in Australia. And Ari specifically is going to be presenting on Sunday, June 23rd. And since it's pretty pricey, similar to SVP, it's about $200 a day and about $500 for the week. You know, if you only want to go one day, that might make sense. And if you want to see Ari show off some of his theatrical piece, you could see that on Sunday. And it's at the University of California, Riverside. Yeah, that sounds really great, too. We are going to SVP in Australia, though, so unfortunately we can't make NAPC this year. But Yeah, it's gobbling up most of our dinosaur traveling budget for the year yeah. since it's a long way away. Hopefully we can make it another year. Yeah, or in another five years when they have the next one. <laughs> oh, right. Before we get into our interview, as a quick reminder, we have a Patreon. Most of our recent interviews have extended versions. The entire set is available to all patrons on the first day that you join. So if you join, you get like immediately 30 of these or so that you could listen through. We don't have an extended interview with David Armsby for this week's because instead we made a video on our YouTube channel to go with it, trying something new. But we did have an awesome extra long chat with Brian Ng which is on there. I think it ended up working out to about twice as long as the one that was in the regular show. It was like a half hour in the show and an hour in the unabridged version. So I definitely recommend that, especially if you're interested in paleo art and Brian's work. And as we said earlier, if you sign up at the Tyrannosaurus level, you'll also get our brand new book. So if you're interested in the extended interviews and or our new book, then head over to patreon.com slash inodino. And now on to our interview with David. We're chatting today with David Armsby, who is an artist and filmmaker, and he draws, sculpts, paints, animates, and he has a wonderful YouTube channel, Dead Sound, that you should check out. Recently, he made this beautiful short film about dinosaurs called Sharp Teeth. Can you tell us, what was the inspiration for Sharp Teeth? How much time you got? <laughs> oh. 
Well, honestly, I started animating. I should go even further back. I started drawing uh, and animating. The first things I ever drew, the first things I ever animated, the first things I ever sculpted were all dinosaurs. Nice. Dinosaurs were everything. I'm staring at a wall of dinosaur figurines right now. The reason I started animating is because I was so inspired by things like walking with dinosaurs and that kind of thing, like the behind the scenes. Being from Britain, it's that was on TV when I was a kid, and it was all I ever watched. <laughs> and Sharp Teeth was like a way for me to make an animation about like capturing bits and pieces of the different dinosaur media I grew up with. There's a little bit of Walking with Dinosaurs in there with the cinematography. There's a little bit of Land Before Time, obviously, with the title mm-hmm. and the way that dinosaurs don't really call each other by their scientific names. It's like the beaked ones and the four-legged ones and the tall ones. And I've been making animations for a while, and at least half of them, probably even more, feature dinosaurs. As much as I can throw a dinosaur in there, I will. And this is my only, this is my second out of like the 20 plus animated shorts I've made. This is only the second one that's entirely based around dinosaurs. I made an animation very early on called Small Beginnings, which was entirely dinosaur based. I hate it now because it's so old. (laughs) (laughs) But. It was really nice to return to that with my new experience in animation. Animating dinosaurs specifically, I really enjoy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like uh, bringing dinosaurs to life and moving them in a way and puppeteering them, the actual animation process. A lot of my other animations, it's a chore to mm-hmm. animate. Something that's to animate a human being to me is a chore. <laughs> it's something I have to do to make my stories happen whereas animating a dinosaur is a delight because it's like it totally taps into this childhood version of my brain where i'm watching the behind the scenes of well walking with dinosaurs and you see those turnables of the diplodocus walking the the walk cycle for the diplodocus and the the run cycle for the allosaurus and i'm like that's that's what i grew up on and it's great (laughs) (laughs) and honestly sharp teeth came like i made sharp teeth at a time where i was extremely jaded and kind of wanted to give up on animation because I was doing a lot of stuff that there were stories I wanted to tell but they weren't stories I wanted to animate oh, <laughs> to actually puppeteer so sharp teeth was like total therapy so I could animate dinosaurs for a month and not have to care like yeah. <laughs> just enjoy animating for 29 days that's how long the short took me it took me 29 days from conception to completion which I think is the second shortest time I've ever spent on an animation. And it was honestly just because I would sit down and enjoy it and do it for seven hours a day, (laughs) you know? Yeah, I was going to ask how many hours a day in 29 days, because it definitely was a lot of work. It really showed there's so much detail, but at the same time, it's so artistic. So it's not like you're just trying to jam as much possible resolution into the models. It's really beautiful. I really appreciate what you made there. Mm -hmm. Thank you. The story too. I really liked that there was this twist. Yeah. My stories, when they're not about, I don't know, introspective isolation, because I'm an animator and I'm alone, (laughs) (laughs) they always tend to revolve around nature and the, the cycle of nature and the indifference of nature and the fact that there are no good or evil. It's just stuff. It's just just a balance of creatures and nonsense. And it all comes into this ecosystem of crazy. It taps into the jadedness as well, where it's like there is no easy bad guy. And it's uh, that's mm-hmm. also something I, I try to imply with the land before time mm-hmm. vibe. People have pointed out that the name and the animals are all the, the, like the fact that it's very land before time to start off with. And I wanted to continue with that children's book aesthetic until the very end and say, mm-hmm. 
No, there isn't a clear-cut good guy. There isn't a clear-cut bad guy. It's, it's just nature. It's just stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, one yeah. of my favorite elements to that that I like to bring up periodically is how there isn't really any such thing as a pure herbivore. Most herbivores, if they run across some small animal, will just eat yeah, it. Yeah, <laughs> I've heard this. Like a cow will graze and eat an injured bird. Yeah. It's, yeah. It's like they're not designed to chase down prey, but that doesn't mean that they're not happy to take advantage of the availability oh, yeah. when it's there. Exactly. <laughs> I've been trying to write a second dinosaur animation because there's something that I really enjoy doing. I'd love to do another one in a very similar style, like how that animation has like a, has that color divide where it's purple and orange and everything orange is a herbivore, everything purple is a carnivore and the perspective like completely inverts when it changes perspective of the animal. <laughs> That's something I wanted to imply again in another short film. I've been trying desperately to write another simple dinosaur animated short film so I could just make it because I really do enjoy just sitting down and doing these. Mm -hmm. And I can't think of anything. (laughs) (laughs) I've got like visuals in my head. I really like the idea of doing one about Spinosaurus, like the modern depiction of Spinosaurus and having it like the, not the quadrupedal because apparently that was debunked, but the short-legged fishier swimmer. Yeah. Um, I'd love to do an animated short about one of those just because the visuals are so nice. Mm-hmm. I keep trying to think of another theme, another nature-esque theme where it's not necessarily the circle of life. I've been trying to come up with an idea. I'm trying to put into words the feeling of an ecosystem and how everything is connected because Spinosaurus, I'm under the impression that Spinosaurus lived in a place full of like a decent amount of super predators. There was Carcharodontosaurus living alongside Spinosaurus mm-hmm. and a smaller large theropod that I can't remember the name of, but all three of them took advantage of completely different niches. And that's the reason they were able to coexist. Mm -hmm. And I'd quite like to somehow skew that into some weird children's story thing where the Spinosaurus helps with its huge body to carve the rivers that help everything else out. But I can't think of a way to actually streamline that into a story. Right. Yeah. That sounds really awesome. Spinosaurus would be a good one because the depictions of it change so frequently. There's no guarantee that your depiction of Spinosaurus will still be yeah. considered accurate I in five know. years. But <laughs> I know. Like, uh, not all the dinosaurs in Sharp Teeth are that. I mean, they're accurate, more accurate than what you'd see in a lot of stuff, but they're not entirely accurate. But you're right. Like, the Spinosaurus is going to be outdated in three months, without a doubt. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, invariably, if you finally sit down and make the actual animation that's when a new paper comes out and they'll be like oh we just realized <laughs> yeah <laughs> by the totally. way along those lines you obviously do a ton of research and know a lot about dinosaurs <laughs> yeah not as much as i'd like but when i made my behind the scenes videos people were quite quick to jump on uh, correcting me of my mistakes which is deserved but honestly that's just like the, the dinosaur knowledge and research for the short film was is basically completely memory because i just was super interested in this stuff and i listened to lectures and videos and and, all, and podcasts about you know new scientific discoveries and such yeah is that why you made the making of video you know you mentioned the things like these are the inaccuracies but they all seem very minor <laughs> well yeah i deliberately made certain inaccuracies but there was also a big ol' inaccuracy. <laughs> There's a pteranodon in this short film, and that should have been extinct by the late Cretaceous, and everyone pointed that out to me mm. immediately. And I can tell you the story behind the reason there's a pteranodon, and it's because I was originally going to make a Quetzalcoatlus, but the thing looked so weird. <laughs> I, thought, I thought it was going to be too distracting. People would be looking up into the sky and saying, what in the hell is that? <laughs> <laughs> 
That's funny. I would have never caught that because I know nothing about pterosaurs and like which ones were around when. <laughs> yeah, it was literally like a twitch move where I was like, I'm not making a Quetzalcoatlus because they look so weird. I need to make another pterosaur, another large pterosaur just to put in the background. And I just Googled immediately, Pteranodon. When did that live? And it said late Cretaceous. It wasn't quite late enough, Cretaceous. Mm. <laughs> I think it was extinct 15 to 20 million years before T-Rex had evolved. So Yeah. That's the problem. Like in the Jurassic, if you're in the late Jurassic, that's a pretty small window of time. But if you're in the late Cretaceous, that's like as long yeah. as all of the Triassic or more the dinosaurs were around. <laughs> <laughs> they don't scale right. I saw you recently also released a video about how you sculpt your dinosaurs. There's the yeah. one. Yeah. The what was it the two T-Rex you have side by side? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Well, like animation, I've actually been sculpting for longer than I've been animating. Again, the first thing I ever animated was a dinosaur. I tried to make an Allosaurus and it was probably horrible. I don't have that model anymore, but it was the first thing I ever tried to 3D model. It was the first thing I ever tried to animate. And it's the same with sculpting. The first thing I ever sculpted was was maybe, I think it was in 2011, but uh, I don't have that model anymore. But it was the first thing I ever tried to 3D model. It was the first thing I ever tried to animate. And it's the same with sculpting. The first thing I ever sculpted was, I think it was in 2011, and um, so I've been sculpting for eight years, seven, eight years. And the first thing I ever sculpted was a Diplodocus. And the second thing I ever sculpted was a T-Rex. And the <laughs> third thing I sculpted was a Spinosaurus. And the fourth thing I sculpted was a dragon. The fifth <laughs> thing I sculpted was an Allosaurus. And Seeing a pattern. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so what the T-Rexes in that video are either my third and fourth or my fourth and fifth Tyrannosaurus Rexes that I've sculpted. And it was a college project. It was a college project for technically this academic year, but it was in 2018. I'm an art and design student, so we had to do a mixed media project, which meant we needed to create a sketchbook full of mixed media examples, which is a whole bunch of just use more than one media, artistic media to create a piece and make a sketchbook full of mixed media pieces. You didn't actually technically need any final pieces, but I use every single opportunity at college to make a sculpture. <laughs> and I asked if I could make a 3D sculpture at the end, and she was like, absolutely. And uh, I'm fascinated in dinosaurs for lots and lots of different reasons. And one of the things that really fascinates me is paleo art, and specifically the evolution of paleo art, the mm -hmm. evolution of paleo art and the evolution of dinosaurs and media, which is one of the reasons I want to make an animation about Spinosaurus, because you're right, it keeps changing. It's changed so much, specifically in like the last five years, it's insane. I really wanted to make a sculpture that depicts the change between the pop culture and paleontological differences of a hundred years of science. So I had the Ray Harryhausen-esque Godzilla, mm -hmm. early 1900s, nearly Charles R. Knight, but not quite because his were more realistic. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Godzilla-esque black and white sculpture of a Tyrannosaurus Rex with all the adorable inaccuracies that you'd associate with that. And then a very modern, very contemporary Tyrannosaurus Rex with a feathered covering on the back of its neck. It's far more bird-like. Its hands aren't pronated inwards. It's uh, proportionally accurate, uh, stuff like that. Yeah. That T-Rex, that modern T-Rex, the, the orange one, is, I think, maybe my favorite sculpture I've ever made. I really like that guy. Yeah, I really liked seeing it in the video. <laughs> <laughs> It's actually sat at the college right now. The college has a big glass cabinet outside our classroom, and the two of them are duking it out 
outside the class. <laughs> nice. I get a lot of people like walk by and they stop and they look in. It's like, oh, I'm tempted to come over and say, do you like my sculptures? Have like a little <laughs> chat. No, I just sit there like a little villain <laughs> and, <laughs> and watch them scrutinize. <laughs> so you mentioned you're hoping to do a Spinosaurus video. Yeah. Do you have plans for other types of dinosaur well, videos? I definitely... That's the thing. I'd like to do a series based on this sharp teeth thing where it's a sim- I don't know how exhausting that formula will be. I think it might only work once with a kid's storybook and then it has a hard turn into a relatively important lesson about the world. I don't know how boring that would become more than once or twice, but I would really like to do another one in that style, at least one more. And like I said, dinosaurs appear in all my animations, so they're going to appear again. If I don't do one about Spinosaurus, I might do one about, like you said, the late Jurassic. Actually, no, the mid-Jurassic. Is that when Allosaurus and Diplodocus and Brachiosaurus were all running around? Yeah, I think uh, so. Either yeah. middle or late. Mid- yeah, right. Mm-hmm. That's obviously a very classic time in dinosaur. That's like when dinosaurs happened. That's what everybody thinks of as like the big long necks and the stickosaurus and everything like that. So either then or Spinosaurus, but I'm almost certainly going to do another animation exclusively about dinosaurs. I'm uploading an animation tomorrow. It's very different from my usual style. It's based on really cheesy 80s B-movies, like action movies. It features a cyborg dad who slowly replaces all of his body with robotics and hates himself and tries to reconcile with his son in this neon nightmare of a world. It's not supposed (laughs) to be be taken seriously. But there's a dinosaur in that, a cyborg Tyrannosaurus Rex called Crocky, (laughs) <laughs> so dinosaurs appear in everything <laughs> are they kind of like easter eggs uh kind of yeah uh, the fact that that t-rex is called crocky is an easter egg because my childhood plushie i used to have a childhood plushie of a crocodile that i would call crocky and then <laughs> when he needed surgery i got a t-rex and i called that crocky so it's everything's a little easter egg <laughs> well thank you again so much for taking the time to chat with us and we really enjoy your work and look forward to seeing more dinosaurs Thank you very much. It was really nice talking to you. Thanks again so much, David. We had a great time chatting. And as Garrett mentioned before, we did turn this into a video interview. So go to our YouTube channel and you can see what we came up with. Yeah. And check out his channel too for the full original video. It's pretty great. And now on to our dinosaur of the day. Shavuya, which was a request from Dinosaur 4602, so thanks. Shavuya was an alvarosaurid theropod that lived in the late Cretaceous in what is now Mongolia. Alvarosaurids have short, powerful forelimbs that are good for digging. The type species is Shavuya deserti. The name means desert bird. The Mongolian word shivu means bird. Shavuya was small and light, about 2 feet or 60 centimeters long, and it had a beaked snout and slender jaws and small teeth. The jaw could perform prokinensis, which is upper jaw mobility, where the snout can bend or flex upward independent of the skull. Shavuya had special hinges near the eye sockets. It also had long, slender hind limbs and short toes, and three toes in each foot. Shavuya may have been a fast runner. The forelimbs were short and muscular with three digits on each, including one large thumb claw. It may have used these forelimbs to rip open insect nests. It could have used its jaws to go after the insects and then open its mouth very wide. Hmm. Shavuya was named in 1998, by Chappie and others. The fossils were found in the Jadota Formation. Several specimens have been found, including some well-preserved skulls. One specimen was found among hollow tube-like structures made of keratin. Scientists found the structures contained the protein beta-keratin and no alpha-keratin. 
beta carotene is found in skin and feather cells of reptiles and birds, but only bird feathers have no alpha carotene, which showed that Shibuya was probably covered in proto feathers. Nice. Love those dino fuzzy little guys. Yeah. Paul Sereno hypothesized in 1999 that alverosaurids were modified members of Ornithomimidae, the ostrich mimics. A study in 2002 of a partial skeleton of an immature Shibuya found that there was not enough information to support the hypothesis that ornithomimids and alvarosaurids are closely related, though. If you'd like, you can see Shibuya in the Jurassic World Dinosaur Field Guide. And our fun fact of the day is that a freshly hatched Musaurus only weighed about 60 grams or 2 ounces, whereas an adult weighed over a ton, and that works out to over a 16,000 times increase in size. Wow. And I did that math about 10 times because I was so surprised by it. I kept thinking that I moved a decimal place or right. something. I can't imagine. So if you applied the same ratio to a 90 kilogram or about 200 pound adult human, they would weigh five grams or 0.2 ounces when they were born, which is less than a teaspoon of sugar. That's so crazy. Yeah. I have a really hard time imagining what it's like to grow that fast. I know. The the scale of putting on that much mass at that ratio is just insane. There are other dinosaurs that grew similar amounts, but since we talked about Musaurus this episode, I figured that's yeah. where we'd go. No wonder they had to start off by crawling. <laughs> Every, you get, you're still figuring out everything while your limbs are getting so big. Yeah. I mean, we start out by crawling and we're several kilos though. Right. They're only 60 grams. Oh my goodness. <laughs> it's nuts. <laughs> On that note, that wraps up this episode of I Know Dino. Thanks for listening. Don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss out on any new episodes. Also, join our Patreon so you get access to our latest book if you're a Tyrannosaurus patron. That's patreon.com slash I Know Dino. Thanks again, and until next time. Good day.